this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Today on Anatomy of a Movie, we talk about Alice Through the Looking Glass, the fun sequel to Alice in Wonderland. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to Anatomy of a Movie on the Popcorn Talk Network. Today we are talking about the fun James Bobin film, Alice Through the Looking Glass, the fun sequel to the 2010 Tim Burton's Alice Through uh, Alice in Wonderland. I'm your host, Marissa Serafini. You can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV, and you can follow my co-host, D Movies. Hey, Marissa, it's Dimitri. Hello, movie fans. How are you? Hello, Dimitri. And uh, I'm Phil Svitek. Hi, Phil. Hello, all. <laughs> yes, hello, everybody. Alice Through the Looking Glass. Real quick thoughts of your. Your quick thoughts on this film, Phil. How about we start with you? Um, I've never been an Alice in Wonderland type of guy. Um, you know, the, most of my references come to it through other things. Like, it's just always constantly referencing something, you know, and always the Mad Hatter and this and that. So it's kind of become this iconic thing. And, um, you know, for, for me, this movie in particular, I, I thought it was fun. It worked. Um but overall, I don't necessarily know if I was the right audience for it. Um, but I can't say it's a bad movie. You know, it just wasn't my cup of tea. I would not show up at the Mad Hatters. <laughs> right. Certainly not there on time. <laughs> so we'll Follow that white rabbit down the rabbit hole. Yeah, you know. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, just, just I'll also preface it. I did not read the books either. So, sure. you know, it's, uh, it's beyond my mythos. Okay. Gotcha. Dimitri? You know, well, I just... Gotta say, thank you, movie critics of the world, because prior to going into this, you know, I'd seen very many bad reviews. Like, you just see the headlines. And, and, and um, you know, again, always referencing 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. So my bar was set a little bit low. Um, I was... I was a modest fan of the Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Not huge, modest. So going into this, I was like, hmm, all right, what are they going to throw at me? And you know what? I have to say, I found this movie to be very entertaining and enjoyable. And I think I might have even liked it more than the original <clears throat> or Tim Burton's uh, version. Uh, Mia Wasikowska, uh, whom I love, she was great. And she showcases the ability to carry a movie and the supporting cast, including newbie to the series, Sasha Baron Cohen. I thought was very good. Um, you know, seriously, not a movie as bad as many portray it to be, in my opinion. Sometimes, I honestly think this, I, sometimes I really do think that people forget and critics forget what a bad movie is. 
I didn't think that it warranted its 30%. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Dimitri, before we came on air for this one. uh, I I admit, I enjoyed the second one, this film, a little bit more than I did the first one. Because I remember watching the first one, walking out, and thinking, remember thinking, I didn't love it. It it was fun, especially back, you know, it just shows just how much Hollywood industry has changed in six years. And how we view movies um, back from 2010 to now. Um, It... I think Tim Burton did a great job of creating a world of yes. Alice, and I think this film, I think, did better in storytelling. Like, Tim Burton, he's very creative visually, and I think this one did better story and thematically compared to, I mean, we did have some great visuals in this film, too, and it was fun, uh, but I did actually thoroughly enjoy this one more so, and I maybe because I have matured over the last six years and how I watch movies is so much different than how I did six years ago. And uh, I, I have a greater appreciation for Alice through the Looking Glass and just the stories of Alice in Wonderland and, and Lewis Carroll. Um, like, I didn't really appreciate just the stories as a kid because it was kind of way over my head and I didn't understand it. And now being more of an adult, and then, like, I, I appreciate it more in my younger adults teenage life mm-hmm. to adult now. I, I think this one, I mean, in, in terms of for, for women... She's a lot stronger to me in this movie, okay. um, you know, and, and just because of this, obviously she kind of goes off of that arc from the first one into this one. And, you know, just just by that nature of it, she's already a stronger person to begin with. And now, you know, we're coming in, into it three years after the fact. She's she's, uh, you know, on on these boats. Uh, Ship captain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> I really liked that because it showed just how much her character we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass has grown too and then like she has literally stepped into a leadership yeah. role and she became a stronger person authority authority wise and how people just view her in that society yeah. so did you feel the same way yeah well first off bully for you for maturing these past six years because i have not as people <laughs> tend to tell me but no I, I really felt that you know alice in wonderland that movie was a great setup because you did have a you had a strong female character who was going on this? It was it was a, a journey of enlightenment for her, and and finding her own way and becoming that strong character. And I thought her segueing into the role. I really love the opening of this movie, with her. First off, it was a great reveal because she's on the ship, and then you realize, wait, she's barking out orders. She's the captain of this. I'm like, wow, that's that's fantastic. Like that's great, especially. If you want to throw it into that time period where that would never really happen. But I think just for movie-going audiences, for little girls alike, she's captain of a ship and she's getting out of this. She's escaping pirates. How exciting is that? So, yeah, I thought that what they did just from that get-go, I found that to be fascinating. And then I was like, well, this is a fascinating story. How are we going to bring her back into the world of Wonderland? Like, how are they going to take her out of this, this prominent role, 
And what is she going to have to do in Wonderland? You know, I do find that this movie, too, I think, and we can get more of it in reaction, but it was it was sort of trippy. You know, it was a little bit, you know, I hate to use the word convoluted, but there was lots going on. You had to pay attention to this movie. Um, but that was one of the aspects that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the time travel element yeah, I mean, well, anytime you introduce time travel, you got to figure out your own set of rules. Otherwise, it, yeah, and, and even that, even with your own set of rules, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it starts to get whoa. What's going Absolutely. on? Absolutely, and you know, they they stuck to some of the tropes. They they broke some of the tropes as well. Made their own set of rules. But I thought the the concept and how it was portrayed, not only through through research, not only was were things very English and British. But I liked how it was portrayed, and to me, it was an homage of that great H.G. Wells, the time machine. And <laughs> the thing that she wrote in reminded me very much of H.G. Wells's time machine thing, and going through the seas of time. I thought that was a great representation. So much fun to watch. Yes. Phil, did you like the character growth of Alice? Yeah. <clears throat> Again, I, I think for her... You know, um, absolutely. You know, and I thought what was fun in this one, because I, I thought overall she was always, you know, I don't think she arced as much. Like mm-hmm. the first one really was about Alice. I think this, um, it was fun to see the different characters and, and, and how they're sort of arcing throughout this whole bit. Yeah. Um, and, and the changes that they have of perspective and, and, you know, the different types of realities we go through. And I also like, too, how we learn about our characters. Like, so, this was a sequel, but outside of Alice, we're learning more of the past of, like, the Red Queen and things mm-hmm. like that and, and her sister. And I sort of kind of liked that using that time travel concept about, you know, the whole, well, how does she become to get to who she is today uh, of what we know her as? And I thought that I thought it was very cleverly done. They set up a good story about the lie you know mm-hmm. things like that i, I appreciated that getting yeah. backstory i mean you know what? let's get into some of the writing uh, obviously uh <clears throat> linda wolverton who's back again um you know she's done a lot of disney films from you know she did the first alice in wonderland where she did maleficent one and the new upcoming two and then lion king's one and two and the new beauty and the beast movies um so she's very well established in the the disney um writing in that sense and it, she she said, uh, I look for a relatable theme, and then I apply the characters and the things that I want to explore with regard to the relationships or a certain character, and that's kind of where I go from. So going off of like building characters that she's already established and whatnot. But for the writing, I, I did like for the sequel that we did learn more about other characters who were quickly established in the first one. Right. But to learn more about or, um, the sisters, the Red Queen and the White Queen, like I liked this because yeah it is a big movie and there's a lot it's a kind of an ensemble cast yeah but they did spend a good well-balanced enough time of these two sisters and i have more understanding of where they come from and why they are the way they are yeah and helena bonham carter i mean she's just loving this role right i mean so good she's she's just so much fun to watch and you know, when you place her opposite of Anne Hathaway as well, who I actually liked Anne Hathaway better in this movie, too, um, even more so than, than the first Alice, <clears throat> you really did see a chemistry between the two. 
Um, and 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 I really I, I enjoyed the resolution that those characters had at the end. But uh, watching Helena Bonham Carter, you know, she's just great. She's so fun to yes. watch. Phil, what were your favorite things about the sister dynamic <clears throat> storyline? Uh, again, it's kind of what you guys said. It's it, it's seeing them at a younger age, right? Um, you know, it's one thing to when, to come into it, and you know, in the first one, seeing the conflict and and kind of having to to deal with it. Whereas, yeah, that it's always fun when you get kind of the reason as to why people are the way they are, um, and how that can shift. Um, and they're great actresses, you know. I think uh, Helena, going back to Beatrix, is, is, is from, yeah. from oh Beatrix my God. you know, um, and half and half and Hathaway is just um, she's a great character actor, you yes. know. Um, and I think she just always manages to pull it off, and she's she's fun. Um, although I have not seen the Princess Diaries, right? Is that what it's yes. called? Yes, the Princess Diaries. I always get and that. They're coming out with a third one. <laughs> I very will. excited for that too. I'm sh- yes, very excited myself for that one as <laughs> you well. You can guess you will be covering that one. Um, so yeah, you know, um, I thought again, the, 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 it's it's in a way what what I like is uh, these characters in a way to me always have represented Alice, mm-hmm. you know, and they're they're kind of a reflection yeah. of her and and, and little. Bits and pieces, like that's why Humpty, like when he breaks apart, it's like you know all the all these characters to me are little bits of right. broken Alice. Horse and men going after him. Oh, it was great. Um, I I liked it. I, I agree with you there, Phil. I liked the fact that it kind of switched my mentality of the Red Queen and the White Queen yeah. because we're so conditioned for the audience that we're supposed to dislike the Red Queen and love the White Queen, but like knowing their past a little bit. Like, oh, the White Queen isn't as good and as pure as we're led to believe or we should know. Right. And that the we should feel more for the Red Queen because she was done wrong and the White Queen was the one doing the wrongdoing. And it, it switched my thoughts on them. I was like, wow, I for once I like the Red Queen and for once I don't like the White. You understand the motivations of the Red Queen as, <laughs> I mean their heads and she takes it to an extreme and again as played by helena bonham carter it's a wonderful nutty extreme but you know at least there is the motivation you see what happened as as the childhood goes that's why i really thought that the resolution at the end was sweet and touching and and it worked It, it it for me it felt it felt earned um when it when it happened um i think the you know we do have to talk about the the character that they brought in that was not from Alice in Wonderland because pretty much everybody, you know, they got everybody back. Everybody from Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. um, Helena Bonham Carter, Anne Hathaway. <clears throat> they got everybody back. And they had to add a new character who was Sasha Baron Cohen. Time. And, and he was time. And I found it very interesting that they that the director, they decided to personify time because apparently the... Um, Alice in Through the Looking Glass, the book, is very purposely non-cohesive. Mm-hmm. And it does deal with time. However, um, the director uh, right now, I just forget, uh, James, James Bobbin, who's, who's, who's British, English, one of the reasons he took the job is Lewis Carroll is so entrenched into English mythology and, myth- and pop culture. You had to read Lewis Carroll. It's part of growing up. It's yeah. a rite of passage. And he even admits that the second book is very trippy. In- it's like purposely incoherent the way that it's written. But he believed that Lewis Carroll wrote time as 
being a person. And he even went on and he said, you know, if you look at Alice in Wonderland book, Alice first meets the Hatter when he's frozen in a moment at his tea party. And he says to her, I've been stuck at this tea party since last March when time and I quarreled. And to the Hatter, time is a person. Lewis Carroll wrote him as a, as a person, hiring Sasha Baron Cohen to play this person. So we see time personified. I thought that was a stroke of genius. You make time, you, you make something that is either, like you can't, you can see time pass, but it's relatable, and you give them a, this function. Yeah, like and, and the, the good news is the notion's not, you know, while it's a stroke of genius, it's also not something we're not unused to, right? I mean, you know, father time. But the right. good news is, again, rather, you know, father time can also be like the all-knowing sort of person, old and wise, whereas mm-hmm. with Sasha Cohen Barron, you know, and, and he's not being Borat here or Ali G, which obviously they've worked together on, but he's being, you know, he's being respectful and comedic for what the role required him of. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is a different portrayal of time in the sense that he's just nutty and it works rather than the that wisdom and that stoicness yeah. that, that you would think. He's not all-knowing. No, yeah, not at all. Not, he's, he's not all-knowing Although all. he is witty when she yes. comes out, you know, like, uh, hey, uh, can I have a moment of your time? Well, that would mean you need a piece of me. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no. Uh, I, I like the physical and I like that banter. Yeah. yeah I, I think Sasha Baron Cohen did a great job portraying a new kind of character, but yet familiar, and I liked how they gave him humanistic characters for the audience to understand a little bit better. Yeah. And totally fits in that realm. universe, right? Yes. That realm. It definitely. Um, but I, I like the idea of the Times Chronosphere. Yeah. Because I think that was an excellent device that also visually and storytelling-wise moved the story forward. Yeah. And, and kept it going. Because there was It's your that, little DeLorean. Exactly. Yeah, you know it what really I mean? Was. Like, you needed it. It really was. And then, I mean, we'll get to it, but the whole, like, literally running out of time. So, like, the movie itself had a timetable to work off of and that kept the pace of the movie going too just the whole idea of time's running out so we got to keep moving forward right and and again something else that 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 bobbin uh refers to is that that whole the um what do they call that again the the the, the timepiece the chronosphere the chronosphere okay very english for your characters to go to time and ask permission Excuse me, sir. Maybe please have. Can I borrow your chronosphere for? And like, and he said that he that's said one aspect that he really wanted to embrace in this movie is he wanted it to be very keyed into England and you know, and there's but nothing the, more England than requesting permission to use a chronosphere and mm-hmm. going to time himself to do it. Well, the interesting yeah. part, I, I, you know, I don't know. To me. You can look at that, uh, that as British, but again, I just look at it as a you know Alice has this tale of morals and things like mm-hmm. that, and 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 whatnot. And I don't know. To me, that's just good manners. You know what I mean? No, so I, I, I get it. I, you yeah, know, I get it. F, F the Brits for thinking they own manners. No, I, <laughs> no, because America, you know, we would just steal that. We just yeah, we just, we just take it. But no, I mean, I get what you're saying, but. In the context of like, Fair it's enough. just very, you got to be very proper, mm-hmm. and um, I, I found that very interesting that we had two characters who needed to go to time to ask for permission, and you know we had the Red Queen who more more or less wanted to demand the time, you know, and you had Alice uh, who who in fact had to take time into her own hands. 
Literally. Literally. To the point where she does take it. The chronosphere was great, though. And like you said, it was like a DeLorean. Um, I think it was a really cool aspect. Um, And I think also just how they traveled through time and how they used an ocean. Um, Because there there is actually a line, and this is where the the visual effects and the writers thought of um, going through the oceans of time as their way of traveling. Rather than just like flashbacks or whatnot, that they wanted to actually travel. Because there's a line in the actual Alice Through the Looking Glass travels through the oceans of time. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of the chronosphere, too, the, what I, in terms of actually separating, because I, I did joke about it being DeLorean, and what's nice is that it is, but it's also a relic that, you know, everyone's after. Was the DeLorean, no one, you know, no one is actively seeking to Except get Except for Biff. In the cycle, yeah, it's a little. But once he's done with it, he's done with it. Um, You know, whereas the, you know, the fact that it it compresses itself into a, you know, literal thing that you can carry, yeah, was was a good distinction and worked well. Yeah, I thought so too. And again, just throwing back, going back to an English reference. And again, I couldn't find anything that will support my my theory. But it, if you'd ever read H.G. Wells' Time Machine or saw the movie, not not the Guy Pierce movie, although he still has this round thing, it is very, relatively representative of what H.G. Wells' Time Machine uses. You know, it's got the levers, the date no. thing pops up. It's very, in a sense, almost steampunkish. Um, it was a really Fair great... <laughs> it was It was a great representation for her to jump into... And again, it was great because when she would land, she could land. It would fold up, and she could tumble and pick it up, put it away. It was a they great. Could roll effect. it like a dice, you know. Yeah. And just, and it, would it was cool. It was it was a very great representation. I think it was a really Fun. just neat device <clears throat> that I could totally see as a marketing toy. Yeah. For for the kids. Sure. Like they they could play with a little version of a chronosphere. That would be fun. Um, let's let's talk about another story that I think was pretty well written into this film the mad hatter's family and mm-hmm. his whole backstory in that sense learning kind of where mad hatter came from being a kid and he always wanted to build little hats for his father to get his approval and i think okay that i get the understanding of why he loves hats so much right um this was the part like if there's one character that i probably didn't ever want to explain is probably the Mad Hatter, only because there's just such an air of uh, intrigue to him, you know, and and even as iconic as Alice in Wonderland is, uh, you know, I I feel like everyone just knows the Mad Hatter in all of sort of uh, popular culture, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, for me, one of the the points um, where, you know, I I appreciate the storyline. I thought it worked really well. But again, I, I, I just, in a way, I want him to be his mysterious self that I don't that, that I don't know much about besides yeah. just being crazy. Interesting. Okay. Because I, I appreciated at least of his family that we that we meet in this movie. Obviously, the Mad Hatter is the most rebellious one. He's the one that like he's the most flamboyant. He's the most colorful uh, on purpose. Where mm-hmm. his family, you know, not so much. But you understand that that even with this 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 rebelliousness side or this flamboyant side that. You know, he has deep respect and love for his parents. Um, I, I got, like, when we, when he realizes that his family is still alive and that puts him in that funk, so to speak. You know, I, I found that, I, I did find it interesting. To your point, Phil, like, yes, had, had we gone on, like, did we need to know 
had her background? Does, does the mystery of who he is within the world of Alice in Wonderland, like keeping it a mystery could be a good idea? I just think when they set out to write this story, you know, I think it fits. It didn't bother me that we learn a little bit about it had her because we're learning about the White Queen and the Red Queen and their family backgrounds. We know about Alice enough. I, I liked, I did like the framework. I like the bookends as to, you know, Alice was to be betrothed. We know from the first Alice in Wonderland, she thumbs her nose up to this, you know, and this guy's trying to get her back. And again, put women in her place. She's going to be a secretary, you know? And Alice has other ideas. See, that to me, I mean, I love that whole notion. Mm-hmm. And um, and we learn more about Alice and her relationship to her mom and things like that. So this really was a family affair. <laughs> think about it. Yeah, definitely. We got a lot of family <clears throat> stories. What I liked about the Mad Hatter's family that it kind of explained another reason why the Mad Hatter's happy and colorful. Because the idea that he didn't know where his family was, he thought, you know, he thought the worst and he thought they were dead and whatnot. It took away, literally took away his color and personality. And I think that kind of added to the fact that, like, okay, because of his family, his family is the reason why he is the person who he is. True. And you take that away, he's not that person. So I liked how that helped with character development and understanding of where the Mad Hatter comes from. I think that I think it was really well done, and it wasn't too, you know, too spread out throughout mm-hmm. the whole film. It was well explained that right. I could understand it. Right. So I, I think there were very very strong stories. Again, the storytelling I think was better, more concise in this film. I think you know, but it's funny you say concise, and you mentioned the Lawrence. So you know, I have to bring up Back to the Future because. While I believe um, the Back to the Future trilogy is one of the, you know greatest trilogies it stands up there with a lot of with just a few other trilogies but back to the future is a very strong trilogy great through line a lot of people were somewhat turned off in back to the future 2 um i love back to the future 2 but many people found that to be convoluted because you had to follow these timelines going through and they found it Hard to follow at times. Just and watch the first one, and you'd understand. We, but it, but you the know, first one, you have one sort you have of you going back, one time. and they're going forward, they're going back, and you know they, they explain everything. I think Alice through the Looking Glass is a Back to the Future too, because we are going back. We're we're trying to run away from time. We have this time machine, and it, it does, in a sense, if you're not paying close attention. Um, you know, you might get a little confused, like, where are we? What's going on here? Now, I'm not saying Alice Through the Looking Glass is as good as Back to the Future 2. Not at all. I'm just saying that was my only comparison that I could come up with. Um, because everybody loves to compare things. Mm-hmm. So, and that to me, you know, could have been when we get to talk about gross and things, uh, uh, you know, box office. You know, I'm, I was just wondering who this movie was made for. Because clearly... The Alice in Wonderland was made for a particular audience, and it really succeeded in those box office grosses, where this one, I'm not sure that same audience is going to really try to make heads or tails out of exactly what's going on, the concept of time and all that, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, like which story would appeal to which demographic more? Exactly. You know... I think the the tough part is with the first one, right? You're saying Marissa's saying that uh, visually, it's you know it worked better visually than it did story wise. 
I thought, you know, with a movie like that, uh, you know, and it's good that Tim Burton did do that one because the visuals do need to work, right? Mm -hmm. Alice in Wonderland is nothing if not visual. And I'm sure so many people went just to see the visuals of that. I'm sure they could care less about the story. Even the animated Disney version. Oh, yeah. It's phenomenal. Um, And, you know, so I think, yeah, I mean, in terms of how do you step it up, well, obviously you need to, in this one now, you have a base of what the visuals of the original were, so you don't have to necessarily worry as much about that because you know the direction you have to go in. Um, And, yeah, now, okay, how do you elevate it? Well, we got to add some story. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so so I I do think there's that distinction, you know, and, and I thought it, as a movie, it progressed nicely from one to the other. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's always tough for me to think of like if because it's a PG movie, right? So it's yeah. you know the the rating dictates that it's kids. But I don't I, I don't know. I don't. I, it's tough for me to be, remember what it was like to to see a movie like this at whatever age seven, eight, right? And yeah. whether or not I would would understand or confuse. But the nice point, it's got enough vignettes where like you can enjoy like yeah. whether or not you understand the movie, you can enjoy right. certain portions of it. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe the the general audience that's going to see that is a group family, group families yeah. or friends that are together who can enjoy this as a whole, rather individually. Yeah. I mean, I went individually, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, so you know, I want to talk because we talked about Red Queen. We're talking about time and mm-hmm. such, and and again, um, James Bobbin has this. Uh, I like his insight where he talks about why he made why they made time. Because we already talked about that, he's not the all-knowing time that we've come to love and adore. He's a little bit, he's a little off. Um, but you know, his thing is, Red Queen is already such a fantastic villain. Uh, he goes, I didn't want to create another one. Mm-hmm. He goes, so I decided to make time a twit, and then instantly knew Sasha would be perfect. <laughs> now I love this because usually in sequels, sometimes we try to they try to make a villain to out villain another villain and they didn't even attempt to do that in this like let's not make time the villain time's time isn't so much like the villain it's a character it's a character which everything hinges upon but he time's really not the villain here in a sense it's it's you know maybe you know but the red queen she's still like off with her head like she was just (laughs) like great and you don't want to upstage what you already have is a good. I like that approach. Does anyone have whether or not he, he he made up a lot of that stuff, or was it like, oh, let's see here, who's gonna who who's gonna tick their last talk? Who's gonna take? Who's gonna took their last tick? tick. <laughs> <laughs> like who? You know what I mean? I thought that was, whether or not whether it was the writing or he came up with that on his own, I thought that was genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, I think he's just the kind of person. That could pull it off. He's as cl- I think Sasha Baron Cohen is actually as close as we have towards like a Peter Sellers uh, in his day. I mm, think like okay. he's that kind of a comedic genius, chameleon uh, type of uh, actor character. Yeah. So yeah. certainly up there. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's like I I did like this portrayal of time from Sasha. I think he did a great job. It kind of I put him up there with his Hugo. Character, yeah. it's great because yeah, it, it felt like the same kind of vibe. Like his character, he he was what the security guard person in Hugo, mm-hmm. and we weren't 
sure if we should be afraid of him or not but in the end he ended actually up being a good person right so and i think it was the same vein like we weren't sure if he was going to be a villain but he ended up just being a character that we liked yeah and i think that was just great on sasha's part yeah there's another great line towards the end that he had i will never forget you i never want to see you again (laughs) (laughs) like get out (laughs) It, like, was yeah. deliver- it was great. It was uh, the way it was delivered was really perfect. You came into my home and almost literally destroyed time. Yep. So go away. Um, yeah. let, you know, let's get into the actors because sure. we mentioned that we did fortunately get basically everybody back. Um, you know, let's- except for Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee, unfortunately. The late. So. The late. Hey, Christopher Lee. <coughs> Hands off to hats off to him. Um, let's get into Johnny Depp. I mean, character actor himself. He's fa- fantastic. And I liked his portrayal of Mad Hatter. And we, again, learning more about his character. But did what did you think of his performance in this one? You know, I'm going to... I enjoy watching Johnny Depp in almost anything. Um, I think he's a very talented actor. And, you know, if black... You know, people have been criticizing him a lot lately for roles that he's had, whether it be... Too much Jack Sparrow, and then he takes a Mordecai. But then you watch him in Black Mass, and you remember why we originally fell in love with this guy because he's a good actor. Look at him in Ed Wood. Uh, look at him in, in Edward Scissorhands. Look at him in the Tim Burton movies. Um, he's a he's a solid actor. I wasn't a big fan of his portrayal in Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I'll be you know I'll be honest. I thought in, uh, for me it almost it, it detracted. A lot from everything else that's going on. Um, I thought his performance here, he seemed to almost rein it in a little. And I liked him better in Through the Looking Glass than I did uh, in Alice. I think he did, you know, I think he did a, you know, he did a decent job. Zach from the booth says, look at him in Tusk. Tusk. There you go, Tusk. Here's what I, you know, I don't know. I I, I thought he did good for the role. um, But I've never, I will admit, I've never fully understood Johnny Depp. Hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just everyone's I, like I just don't get him. I don't know. I've I've never like understood him in the in movies in general. It's it's a weird really? thing I know, but I, I just never understood the fascination with Johnny Depp. I'm sorry. No, I I hear you too because like I grew up with girls who like loved obsessed with Johnny Depp. I'm like he's a great actor, <laughs> but that's I mean I appreciate he's very talented in that way. But they're they're the fascination. Is but I never I, I thought you know I, I I thought again he's just the roles he portrays are this kind of like. Usually, like you know, he plays like a kooky character, whether it's um, uh, Willy Wonka or mm-hmm. you know Edward Scissorhands. Like he, he plays these oddball characters, and that to me is what makes it stand out rather than his acting. Like it's just it's just a great character. Well, you know, I mean, I'll I'll just go back. I'll, I'm going to try to throw the good in with the bad. I mean, we again when you talk about when we talk about geez, I don't know if people remember or they seem to forget what a bad movie is. He was in uh, one such bad movie that we dissected here. Uh, it was oh, one of the most transcendence, which <laughs> made me very angry. And he was in that. And again, not a good movie. But when you look at things like 
Public Enemies, he was John Dillinger. I thought he mm-hmm. was very good. Sweeney Todd, I thought he was Fantastic. great. He did his own singing. Of course, we already know him as, um, you know, Jack Sparrow. He was good in Finding Neverland. I'm just going The Secret Window, mm-hmm. uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I found he's, him to be good. I'm just, like, again, nice. From Hell. From Hell is a really good gothic um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't want to call it a horror movie, but he's he's so good in that. He was. What about a Lone Ranger below. right there? Well, that <laughs> goes under the sort of kind of made me angry <laughs> kind of movies. Listen, but when you when you do shock a lot, he was Chocolat really was good in that movie. movie. When you look at what this guy's like, his, his body of work, mm-hmm. like you're going in when you do so many movies, you're gonna have a handful that just stink. That's it. I mean, the law of averages. It just stinks. So I enjoy watching him. Um, again, Don Juan DeMarco, he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Ed Wood, you got to love him there. What's eating Gilbert Grape? I mean, the guy has done a bunch of really solid film where he wasn't necessarily even playing just the weird guy. Um, and he's just had staying power. For you know, he he had he's had a run. I mean, he's hitting a bit of a he's hitting a bit of a, a, of, a of a lull or, or or a speed bump. Let's just say. I mean, I thought Black Mass was gonna sort of kind of bring him back to the Johnny Depp that people really enjoyed. I mean, it was Oscar worthy. I thought um, a performance well, he, that he didn't get nominated for. But it's a solid performance. This goes back to more box office, but it, yeah. it ties in closely more to Johnny Depp. The people are saying now's not a good time to be Johnny Depp, right? So between uh, what Amber's saying about him in the, in the press in terms of uh, women abuse, right? That's it, it's just it's at a bad time that they're hanging their hat on your your lead is Johnny Depp. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. it's just shitty. But the only thing that I will say, my only my only counter that and I, I'm not into tabloid and, and whatnot and I don't want to take it but unfortunately people but are I get it I think it happened it happened way too like it literally coincided coincided with opening like date like the, like when that movie opened like if you're going to I mean that's a lot of you're putting a lot of emphasis on something that had it been a week before, I think it really would have been, could have been more mm-hmm. devastating. It happened the week of. I'm not sure that, like, whatever impact his personal life, you know, may have taken that that crazy turn, I'm not sure how much it impacted that opening weekend gross. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe on down the line, maybe it will affect, depending on how this all comes out, you know, it could affect the Pirates gross. Um, who knows? I mean, I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's a it's a it's a terrible situation. Um, I'm not con- he's 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 not having a good run right now. And on top of you know going through a divorce, uh, being you know being accused of having a restraining order put on him, you know he also lost his mom too. I'm not I'm not saying that this is a reason, but this is just one other thing that's been going on in his life that you know he's not having a good run right now. And will he but overcome it? That doesn't it? We'll affect see. his acting whatsoever. You would hope it doesn't affect his acting, but you you just don't know how like whether people can weather that storm. Um, take for example, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't think he ever has gotten got out of Terminator. Well, he never was able to re- come come back after the scandal. What he did to Maria Shriver, mm-hmm. like what was going on. There are some scandals 
that people will forget about, like whether you're drunk, like look at Robert Downey Jr. But I, I think the, the ramifications are yet to be unseen as to what happens with Johnny Depp. And let's, let's face it, his, um, his, his speed bump happened well before this. I mean, when you're in movies like The Lone Ranger, when you're in movies like Mordecai, I mean, you're just in flat-out bombs and stinkers <laughs> that people avoided. So his box office power has diminished well before the Amber Heard um, no. drama has unfolded. So... Fair enough. Yeah. You know. Um, all right. Let's talk about Mia, Alice. I mean, Demetri, you, you and I, we talked in length yeah. about her during the, our Crimson Peak, peak yeah. uh, dissection. But I think she did a really great job as Alice in yeah. this film. And I think she's a very talented actress, and I want to see more from her because she, she's only had, like, a few handful of movies mm-hmm. that are fairly memorable at this point. But I think she this... She did such a great job in these films that can easily open doors for more awesome roles for her. There's enough of a period of time where um, it's very admirable how she was able to come back to that character, right? Because it's not like a sequel that happened right away and it's easier to get back into character. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's that portion to the, you know, whether it's Crimson Peak or anything else, um, that there's been this length of time where she had to get in the mindset of other characters right so um and especially for some something like that like crimson Peak, that's a you know. a gothic horror that's movie. A serious movie yeah and and what she really what i felt she proved in that movie is that she can she can carry a movie and she can stand toe-to-toe with very talented supporting characters and actors mm-hmm. um i do believe i think she's a very gifted talented actors that I want to see more from. Uh, they should they should utilize her, especially when we're talking about trying to find new actresses and getting them jobs and getting them in Hollywood. Build strong roles for a woman. I think Alice is a strong role uh, for her. And you're right, to a point, you know, I mean, it, it took a little while for the sequel to get off the ground, so it is sort of, it, it's, it's somewhat miraculous because you would figure that these people have other things in sight, so she came back to reprise this role. Money, I'm sure, had something to do with it. But also, I think she liked the character. I think in the way that it was written, I found her to be a stronger character in this movie than the first one. Because she is a strong character, and they wrote more for her. And what I liked about her character is because she has matured so much. And, I mean, even when she was, you know, she she was a captain, and then when she Mm -hmm. got reintegrated back into her regular society, she stood out. And I think that was also on purpose because just her wardrobe, she was so colorful. Right. Especially when they were in that ballroom scene, scene. whatever. She obviously stood out amongst everyone. She she was a sore thumb, and she didn't belong there. She didn't belong with her so-called regular society. Right. But she belonged more in Wonderland. Yeah. And But I like that because... It, it just showed that this is a character who's grown so much. And it was also a character, though, as much as she had grown and become strong, she was a character that still could get things wrong. You know, mm-hmm. she even realized, and that I think is part of the, I think what was part of the good storytelling in this is that even though she's ship's captain and she's this strong woman, she not is not necessarily making the right decisions in Wonderland, and even to a point where she apologizes to time. She goes, I'm sorry. She goes, you were right. I didn't I didn't see it. I didn't believe it. You know, people were trying to tell me I wasn't listening. You know, I could have, you know, maybe gone about it a different way. But she apologizes. And, and, I, and that to me, too, is growth in character in a very good in a very good way. 
So, yeah. Yes. And she was great. And she can carry that kind of a movie. I believed her as a ship's captain. You know, when she was up there and she's cutting the sails, I go, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. And it showed the audience that she's capable. She's the kind of character who will literally go the extra mile to do something. Mm-hmm. To get something right. Yep. Or get something done. Absolutely. And I was like, yes, I yep. can immediately get on, get on board, literally, sure. <laughs> with Alice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk about a little bit about uh, Hannah Bonham Carter. Sure. She's fantastic as well. Again, love the growth of uh, the Red Queen. And she said, uh, Helena said in an interview um, on the first film, she talked to the writer, Linda Wolverton, that well, they were just talking about what caused the... Red Queen to lose her way, and they came up with the decision that it was a tumor in her brain, but they never specified the specifics of the accident. So they, that was from the first film that they were talking about, so I liked how they actually fleshed that out in the second film to explain, oh, she hit her head, and that's why her head's so swollen and big. Yeah. But I think Helena is just great to come back to this type of over-the-top character. And she doesn't let the clothes and the costume and the makeup overpower her performance. I mean, her 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 costume acts as well, but the little heart and the lips, and it's just the way they her inflection, the way she talks. Yeah, she's just great. She she's like this. Yeah, you know, we, we, I love hearing her say "off with our heads," <laughs> and like sometimes she says it for no reason, and she's like, "Oh, I'm just." It's like she's so used to saying it. It's like you can picture her waking up from a dream saying, off of their heads, for no reason. <laughs> you know, her, her costume, uh, according to Colleen Atwood, or to the producer, I should say, uh, the most expensive costume was the new Red Queen armor that she had ah. to wear, apparently. <laughs> but all of those costumes, I'm going to say, are more expensive than you think. Colleen Atwood, um, she, won the, she won the Academy, she won the Oscar for Alice. She did. You know, which is, you know, which is pretty incredible. Um, coming back, and, and and again, when you get that type of caliber, and they're going to come back for 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 a sequel. Number one, I think it's great for through line continuity. Um, somebody who already knows the characters, but uh, you know, I, I think that what she did with the Hatter stuff is great. There's a new version of Hatter that we call Safari Hatter, you know, <laughs> and I, I like that there's some creative juices in coming up and making these these characters still look fresh. To us, and not just the same. So yes, Phil, do you feel the same way about the costuming? <clears throat> about huh? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I thought again. Um, I've enjoyed her as an actress, and you know, seeing her in this crazy role, um, you know, as, as, as mu- much fun as the Mad Hatter is, I think she actually sometimes, you know, does better than him, right? Just in terms mm-hmm. of the sheer volume of mm-hmm. madness. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she can carry that, because again, everything's so, you know, especially with the first one is so put on like, oh, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp, right. you know, and right. the, the, you know, again, I think she manages to steal that mantle from him, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I liked the character Red Queen in this film because even like her first appearance back into this, the first thing we see of her is her shadow. Right. And so just her shadow having a bigger presence than what her character, I mean, her character is obviously big, but, like, she establishes such a presence that we should be afraid immediately just at the sound and at the look of her shadow, let alone the character herself. Yeah. I think just shows how great of a job she established her character in the first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And it, I found it very funny, though, the, 
the hint of romance between Time and the Red Queen. Mm. <laughs> I thought that that was hysterical. And of course, you know, would you expect anything less than her to be demanding and not shutting up and always getting what she wants to get, yeah. you know, including the chronosphere? You know, it was, it was, uh, again, I thought that that rapport was very funny. Yeah. Very funny. She's great. Yeah, another great person, Anne Hathaway. Love her. She's fantastic as uh, Marana, the the White Queen. I think she did a great job, and you know, just I learned actually more about the White Queen in the interviews mm-hmm. from Anne Hathaway than really. And, and, we, and we saw a lot of backstory too, but like how Anne approached her character with this, that even from her costumes, Anne said the first look at her costumes of the White Queen was that all the, the thing that she thought was air. So that's how she portrayed her acting and movements. Like she's very airy, and why her hands or fingers are always like moving through the air, and like how she moves, she glides and whatnot, right. and she floats more so. Um, and like I didn't realize that because you know watching it, I realized okay, she the, she moves in a certain physical way, but why? Mm-hmm. And I understood that more from Anne. That's how yeah. she portrayed the White Queen because it's something like purity in a way. Yeah. Well, that's why we do this show. We get this. We get this research out there, like you just said. <laughs> like, <laughs> and saying, neat. hey, that, that, that's really cool. You know, poor Anne Hathaway. Um, she was the only one. They said costume wise that uh, didn't get any upgrades. She pretty much wore the same dress for, from the first. Year, and uh, they're like, yeah, she 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 just got the yeah, well, same. Well, it goes one, with her free spirit, right? You absolutely. know, rather than buying new clothes, she just yeah. upscales. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. what? Upcycles. Yeah, <laughs> upcycles. Yeah, so. and and even Anne said um, in an interview that like her mentality um, and logic from the White Queen is that she cannot harm another living creature, and she finds out that and she took a vow of kindness. Right. So that's why she's nonviolent and she lets other people like do the work. <laughs> do the work for her. <laughs> do yeah, their dirty work so. for her. her I, don't, I don't know if that's Buddhist either. <laughs> Just absolutely, but. Yeah. Um, well. You know, I've, I've gained respect for uh, you know for, for Anne Hathaway these past uh, with, say with these past few years. I mean, she's a fine actress uh, and all, but um, amidst all this um, throwing roles to to younger actresses and such, you know, she was asked like how she felt about this, and, and her response was, and I paraphrase because I don't have the direct quote. She said something to the effect of, "Well, you know, I'm losing parts, like you know." Like, they're hiring people to play 30-year-olds, and they're hiring people in their early 20s to play older characters. She goes, I get it because that was me 10 years ago. I was getting roles that other people weren't getting, and I was much younger than the role that that, that was being portrayed, that I had to portray. Um, I liked it because it's a, it's a, it's a sense of self-retrospect, because she's not in as many movies as she she used to be in, she used to do a lot of movies mm-hmm. and the movies she was in some bigger movies you know I know she was in the intern which did some modest business I loved the intern <laughs> yeah and you know she's I'm happy that she's still working uh, I, I appreciate the the the, the, the self uh, introspect of that she has upon the business but at the same time I don't want to see that same business like. I don't want to see a take away from her because I still think that she has some good roles, many good roles left in her to do, whether it's the intern, you know. I mean, she's still so, young. She's only 33. I understand. But in this business, like, and she admittedly said, yes, 
I'm missing out on roles of, of playing characters who are more in line with my age to much younger people, but that was me 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. She goes, I, I get it. Um, I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, she is a very talented actress. She's And, uh, you know, I don't want her to lose out. And, 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 and again, when you talk about finding strong-willed women, or strong roles, I should say, strong roles for women, you know, there's another actress that we have that just because of age shouldn't, shouldn't preclude people from choosing that person to be in a role. Yeah, and I think the great thing about Anne is that, like, the films that she does pick to do, that whether she acts or voice acts and whatnot, she has True. a very wide demographic. Absolutely. Very wide. I mean, she does Disney films, which sure. appears appeals to the kids' movies. And, I mean, and she did the the Rio movies, which yep. also appeared uh, appealed to kids. And then, like, she does serious movies like Brokeback Mountain and Les Mis and Havoc and whatnot, mm-hmm. which is a completely different sure. demographic. So, like, her, I think that's a testament to her acting yeah. and her range. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so no, like, no matter if you're a young female or just a viewer in mm-hmm. general, there's like so many people can watch your films. Yeah. But all right, let's talk a little bit about Alan Rickman, the late sure. Alan Rickman. Yeah, unfortunately. absolutely. This film was dedicated to him, our good friend Alan Rickman, which, uh, for the short amount of time, his the Caterpillar was on screen. He has such a noticeable voice. Absolutely. Like, oh man, Alan. Um, I, I, I liked it, and I liked how they, they kept him in this film. Yeah, I, I'd wished, you know, you'd wish for more. Yeah. I mean, The Caterpillar was more, wish. it was much more in Alice. Um, I, I'm lucky that they were able to cultivate what they had, so to have him in there. But, uh, yeah. No, yeah, I, I, th- I, thought they, I thought they utilized him quite well, and it's almost, it's poetic that he's now a butterfly in the movie. Right, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, in some sort of strange way, if you if you kind of look at this, the, whatever the evolution symbolism, evolution, yeah, you know, sure. I, I thought, uh, you know, where we knew him as one thing, and now he's just right. different. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, it it is just unfortunate that he has passed, but I did love the fact that you know he's still such a well-known actor sure and well-respected actor to the fact that they could dedicate this film for him yeah yeah and he's an actor too that that completely transcended i mean he completely transcended his hans gruber i mean (laughs) an ultimate amazing an ultimately an amazing villain okay Mm -hmm. uh for 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 a great action movie die hard sometimes an actor has a hard time getting out of that shell but he did it in such an amazing, wonderful way that it brought him into Harry Potter. Yeah, he's going to have a hard time yeah. not mean, being known as Snape. Correct. And, and, you know, but that was something that he, through his career, relished. You know, he loved being that part. And, you know, for, for, for a guy like he was, uh, wasn't he also, he was, wasn't he in Sideways? He was in a, he was, he was in another wine movie. He was movie. in uh, Bottle Shock. Bottle Shock. That's yes. it. Great film so, too. Um, you know, he's had he has a great again, somebody else who has a great library of movies under his belt that yes. Then he goes and he does Snape and he makes that character his own. I mean it's it's at know, a time when I, I don't know if they fully knew like how important Snape was gonna be. Yeah. Yeah. No, the the books weren't all fully written yet <laughs> yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. 
And like S- Snape the character was, you know, yeah. mostly supposed to be hated. Yeah. But yes, that's a whole different story. Yeah, well, but well, again, the, the to- point is that he leaves a body, you know, he leaves a body of work, and so mm-hmm. you know, obviously, though it may be tragic, you know, you yeah. you, you have a collection that you yeah. can go to, unlike with most people. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's hard. Work, you work. talk to any, you know, it's it's hard for an actor to be known and recognized for one great role. Okay, that's hard enough. He's done it multiple times. And again, I say that about Johnny, you know, you can say the same for Johnny Depp. You know, we're, we're, we're talking some actors who've been in franchises and French, you know, some people find it hard to just step into one franchise to get lucky enough to have that happen, to have that lightning in a bottle happen. So, yeah, it's, uh, it was nice to see that up there on the big screen. Yeah, but uh, Phil, you mentioned, you know, like, Big books and whatnot, and sci-fi. But you know, you know what's another book series that you should definitely the be fifth fans wave of? book series. Yeah. Hey Tell guys, so um, we're lucky enough to have obviously fantastic um, supporters of this show, um, and the supporters that we choose for our show, we also try to make sure are in line with what you guys would be interested in. So our sponsor for this show is the fifth wave book series. And guess what? Let me give you guys the premise. What if today was the last normal day of your life? Cassie Sullivan thought she knew what tomorrow would bring. She was wrong. We were all wrong. The first wave took our power, killing half a million people. The second wave put that number to shame with tsunamis that destroyed everyone within 100 miles of the ocean. Goodbye, coastal cities. Um, After the third wave, only the unlucky remains. Survivors of a virus that left only 3% of the world still standing. In the fourth wave, the others became us, inhuman beings hiding behind human faces. At the dawn of the fifth wave, we had to choose. Give up or get up and fight. But that was only the beginning. In these last days, Earth's remaining survivors will need to decide what's more important, saving ourselves or saving what makes us humans. Rick Yancey's number one New York Times best-selling novel, The Fifth Wave, introduces us to a group of young people struggling to survive in the aftermath of a catastrophic alien invasion. Its sequels, The Infinite Sea and the newly released The Last Star, follow them through a series of battles and betrayals as they fight the ultimate war between life and death, hope and despair, love and hate. Entertainment Weekly calls the series remarkable not to be missed under any circumstances and urges fans to just read it. USA USA Today hails this as a modern sci-fi masterpiece and best-selling author of The Passage, Justin Cronin, raves in his New York Times book review calling The Fifth Wave wildly entertaining. And the highly anticipated finale is here and will leave readers stunned. Guess what? Go to fifthwavebooks.com. Check it out. Again, that's one of our sponsors um, for for this show. We appreciate them. We thought it'd be something cool for you. You guys like a lot of sci-fi. You guys like reading. So fifthwavebooks.com. Check it out. I have to add to that. You, 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 know, you mentioned something. I always <clears throat> find that reading, I'm a huge reader. You know how much I love movies. And I always find that, that, that people who love movies like us, they also enjoy reading because it takes you out of the medium for a little bit it's something it's something different finding an exciting book or book series is is amazing um but yeah if you're you're a fan of movies i'm willing to bet that nine out of ten that you're somewhat of an avid reader and that you read genre so, type and um you know being that we're talking about a genre alice uh, through the looking glass i mean lewis carroll yeah so hmm. Go yes. out, go to Check the website. It Check it out. All right, let's talk a little bit about the directing. James Bobin, 
Bobbin, however you say <clears throat> his last name. I'm not, I personally am not quite too familiar with his work other than the Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted mm-hmm. films, which are completely different type of films compared to this Absolutely. one. But he, he's a worked on com- the, A lot of comedy in yeah. the past. Yes, a lot of comedy. He's worked on the the Ali G show, the Ali G show and whatnot. That's how he got involved with this, with Sasha Baron Cohen. But from a directing standpoint, where do you do you think he did a great job following the footsteps of Tim Burton? I thought, you know, I, I thought so. Obviously, Tim Burton was still a producer on this, so mm-hmm. it's not like he didn't have necessarily a hand in it. Um, and you can, you know, it's great. You you can see the respect that he has for this, right? He wasn't just a hired gun. It was it was someone um, who was and the sequel wasn't. Oh, we just have to get out another sequel. It's obviously it's a group that cared enough uh, to want to make it to to try to make it as best as they could. Um, and overall, I thought they succeeded. And under his direction and tutelage, I, I thought again what what showed up on screen is a very, is a is a good result. Yeah, I mean, I think um, he did a more than capable job. Um, you know, Tim Burton said from, from pretty much from day one that he wasn't going to be involved in a sequel um, <clears throat> in directing. So I think it's it's tough. You got to try to find somebody, um, you know, to, to continue that world from a visual standpoint. And, you know, I think Tim Burton set up the pins um, for, for, for somebody and Bobbin to come in and try to knock him down. He built that platform. He built the sandbox. And, you know, for, for Bob and in, in, in interviews that I'd read, this was a, he jumped at the chance when he heard that it was available. Um, and again, he's from England. Um, uh, I said earlier on that, that Lewis Carroll and these stories are very British. Like you, you grow up as a kid having to read these novels and he really wanted to jump right in. It's it's his biggest movie that he's done, and I really think he did a good job of doing his best. He, he built upon the world. We got to see new aspects of this world that was created in the Tim Burton uh, movie. They stayed in line. They didn't break thematically from that world. So things weren't like jarring, like, oh, that doesn't belong here. Everything that was created that was new to us looked as if it belonged in this world of Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I appreciate that. He kept things going at a really good pace. He had a good crew around him. You know, he kept things as coherent as possible. I think they crafted as good a story as you can come up with. Without and I think being he, redundant. I, I, I think he handled the cast ensemble part. It's like the fact that he's been involved in the Muppets, right? I mean, sure. think about what you, the, the type of skill set you have to have for something like that. Absolutely. Um, it's not this, you know, I mean, these are like the Muppets of Wonderland. Right. In some <laughs> sense, right? So, uh, it, yeah, it worked out well. Uh, yeah, yes. what do you think? I, I enjoyed it. I mean, for um, a storytelling aspect and just I easily understood where everything was going. Yes, there was a lot of moving parts, literally, for this film, but I think it was done in such a way that I easily understood where everything was going. We had, I, I liked how they did use that, that aspect of time, and it still moved forward in a comprehensible way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Yeah, and his enjoy. action sequences, I felt, were, were, were really well done. Yeah. Um, storytelling, I thought he, you know, he was able to convey a good story from, 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 from beginning to end. Um, yeah, I think by handing him the reins to something, you're right. You couldn't be more different than the Muppets. And, you know, when you're dealing with a $170 million budget, 
as opposed to the Muppets, which I'm sure wasn't even close yeah. to that. No. Um, I think 40 for those. Yeah, so... And And also, yeah, I mean, he did have the bonus um, feature that that he's just working with really good actors. Yeah. That, you know, they do their part and he does his. Right. So I I easily understood this movie, so I didn't feel like some parts were disconnected. It all felt very connected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's get into the production and the editing aspect of, of this film. Again, this was, I mean, this wasn't a long film. And I think it flowed very nicely to it again with the whole time span in the, the whole timetable that things were moving forward in a very rapid pace. Right. So it was good that it wasn't longer because their budget would have ballooned a little bit more. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, I don't know. It didn't feel long to me. Yeah. I don't know what the exact runtime of this movie was, but it, it's. I think an hour 40. An hour. Was it yeah. an hour forty? It's a fairly short movie. Yeah, and you know, I, I appreciated it. It never, for me, it never overstayed its welcome. Um, I understood where we were. Um, I thought that it was shot very. You know, I thought uh, I thought it was shot very well. Um, cinematographer Stuart Dryberg um, had his hands full. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they 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 did try to do as much location shooting as possible, which is great because seventy five percent of this movie is done in a green screen. Yeah. You know, so. You know, he did say it was one of the longest post-productions that that he has had. And, you know, he's like, but as a DP, once filming is complete and picture is locked, not much he can do um, while they edit other than maybe coloring, um, Mm -hmm. which, you you know, you deal with post-coloring and such. Um, I found that to be very interesting. Uh, He was also asked about... Because even to this day, with digital being so, so relevant, so prominent in our business... Of, of making movies there's still the debate of analog digital and um, you know his, he's like you know this choice not usually mine it's made by the directors or the producers some directors with enough clout will insist uh, on film but digital has become industry standard uh, I like he says I'm at home with both I love film's great texture and process you don't get to see the result while shooting so you have to visualize which is an intellectual exercise so I love that statement because Phil, you're you're very familiar. You're you're filming on when you're filming on film, it's you don't get the instant playback. You better trust yourself. Yeah. You better hope that you your DP like is getting it right, and that that DP has to visualize. And he's like making sure there's a right filter on the lens, there's a right cover on a light. Uh, the right type of lights pointing to where they're supposed to be. There's no to hair point. in the gate. No hair. <laughs> right. The old joke. The gate. <laughs> and, you know, it's, you know, to me, what a DP has to go through today, they can't, they actually, the term, well, we can fix it in post. I mean, before that was a joke, fix it in post, but that meant more budget. Mm. But now fixing it into post, like, you could fix it right there. <laughs> like, you have a previs. Pretty much as you shoot it today. So I, I find that like it's an intellectual um, exercise. It makes shooting with film more of a mental exercise. And I can believe it. Yeah. You know, I can believe that. So, uh, but again, he's one of those guys that's like, hey, it's the world today. I need to work. So, uh, yeah, I got to embrace it. Yeah. And this film... Uh, you know, Imageworks was very involved with the VFX and whatnot. And Imageworks had the highest number of shots to date for them, which is about 
1,700 VFX mm-hmm. shots. And if you think about it, it's like the whole traveling through the oceans of time and then the whole chasing of when time is rusting over, just like did that whole chasing scene um, was, wow, that was it so was. cool to watch. Oh, my God, yeah. 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 And to be fair, the context was uh, Lord of the Rings is about two and a half hours, the third one, and that had about 1,200 shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's hard to believe, too. Yeah. And that was already 10, 13 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, and they filmed this specifically, too, uh, within the 3D world. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew this was going to be in the 3D world. It looked fantastic. It looked fantastic. It really did. It did. It was It was so pretty. And then, like, uh, Demetri, you mentioned that people sometimes just come for you know just to watch it for the visual effects and it's like and i like that's what i liked about the first one it was such a visual effects overload that it was really cool and it really stood out especially in that time even though it wasn't that long ago but it was still fairly like brand new in that concept and and i think i liked how how that one was so visually creative, like they still kept that in the second one. Yeah, and when, and again, when you really think about it too, you talk about the first one, um, Tim Burton is such a visual director, right? Mm-hmm. And there are times where some of his movies, story-wise, you might go, eh, but you'll forgive if, like, because visually, it's unlike anything you've seen before. And he's done it in dramas, he's done it in action movies, like the Batman movies he's done. Which I believe uh, Batman Returns, I think, is the only sequel he's ever directed. I think Batman Returns could be it. Could be. But then you, but, but then he does it in comedies. Look at movies like Pee Wee's uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. You know that has that Tim Burton visual style, which helps. That I mean, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is funny because of our character, but the visual style, like Large Marge, the <laughs> eyes popping out, and then look at Beetlejuice. You know, look at the visual style in Beetlejuice. And then, you know, very visual director. He sets up an amazing platform for Bobbin to come in that's already in place. And he doesn't try to up that ante. He just tries to add to that world that's already created. Smart. It's good for him. I liked it. Phil, what were some of your favorite visual moments? (sighs) Uh, That's that's always going to be tough. I mean... Visually, I mean, it kind of comes down to, honestly, like, some of it just comes down to the costuming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, for me. And, you know, and that's the real practical stuff. Um, and it, it, it's just the combination of the colors at all times. I mean, to me, I, I always enjoyed the brighter scenes, right? Um, like, uh, like being with time, everything was a little bit dark. And obviously, it's, it's got scale to it and whatnot. But but just seeing something kind of luscious in the trees and the and, yeah. and the different colors and the vibrancy, um, I gravitated more towards those, um, just because you, get, you know again everything had scale. But but I don't know maybe I just like sunny things. Yeah no I I, I agree with you. What were you <laughs> gonna say? I I, th- I think one of my favorite shots was um, time when he was with the stop stopwatches. Yes. And um, the. The more particular ones were for all the ones that were still alive. Because yeah. it looked like heaven, like that type of world. Then he walks over to the ones who right. are dead. But like that was such a cool shot in contrast to what he was wearing, which was so dark and mm-hmm. somewhat purple compared yeah. to the like the bright orangish red behind right. him. Um, I think that was just a visually stunning shot that like will never leave me. Yeah, and when and Phil, you talk color. We talked a little bit color of the of dresses. 
again, um, I, although I couldn't find anything from Colleen Atwood, but her dress, Alice's dress to be specific, the beginning of the movie when she walks into the party, mm-hmm. okay, where everybody is all Victorian, they're whites, they're beiges, they're blacks, and whatever, and she comes in in this, I believe it was from China. Yes. And what I, what I, what I couldn't find is whether or not Colleen Atwood like actually mm-hmm. researched and if that was actual type color dress that Japanese, would have been, ja- Japanese my apologies um, yeah actually uh, Colleen Atwood you know very well renowned um, person f- for wardrobe that she studied the 80s Japanese designs and she took special notes of the structure of what they looked like and she says herself we needed yards and yards of vintage looking fabrics for Alice's Chinese influence costumes and so I guess it was Chinese um, but we knew we weren't going to be able to find that anywhere so they did vintage fabrics. And so the textile de- department hand-embroidered 70 yards of basic blue silk to create the look that they wanted. Yeah, I was just, but, wow. but I was curious as to whether or not the dress she was wearing came from that time. Much like all the other costumes in oh, that scene were, was- you, you can say that, that that's from that time, was the dress she wearing from that time as well but that's something that they would Maybe wear in Ch- because that that's what the character said this is what they're wearing in China I just loved how she stood out and yeah it was still it was a beautiful dress I didn't find it you know it, it was great and uh, and again it said so much about that character showing up and the looks that she was getting and such yes it was good stuff yeah <laughs> the, the costumes were, were always fun to watch I mean always. we talked about the, the white the the White Queen and Red Queen's costumes a little bit. But, yeah, Colleen Atwood. I mean, if they did a third Alice in Wonderland, and like I'd, which maybe they could write a story for that, I'd totally watch it Alice as well. Alice back in Wonderland. Yeah, back, back in, in Wonderland. Wonderland. <laughs> Returns to Wonderland. Um, I, would, I would watch it, and I would hope that she did the costume for yeah. that as well. Yeah. Um, a little, little bit of the music and soundtrack. Danny Elfman. I oh. mean... He, Long-time Tim Burton long collaborator. Time, yes. Um, so many that I can't even count how many right now. Yeah, they only had but, that there was a time period where they had a little bit of a falling out. They made up, you know, became best buds again. You know, it's hard to it's hard to envision. It's like it would be like Steven Spielberg not using John Williams or George Lucas not using John Williams. Right. Tim Burton not being able to, to, to utilize uh, Danny Elfman of Oingo Boingo fame. You know, and he's become such an accomplished, uh, another cinema score composer throughout the years. Yeah, it's hard, you know, he's just uh, come such a long way. You know, yeah, he's absolutely. amazing. And he created a whole new uh, theme for the character time. time, which I liked. The moment in this film, I mean, it was prevalent throughout the whole movie, but one that really stuck out to me was when the whole rust chasing yes. and the putting back the chronosphere you can definitely tell because there's really no dialogue it was just running and just music swelling mm-hmm. up um i really that's when it really stood out to yeah. me um brilliant fantastic uh a little bit about promotion at d23 back in uh, august 2015 they did promote this film and danny elfman and johnny depp were, were there and they you know they talked a little bit um, about Alice, they they didn't really show any clips, but right. they did show like a lot of concept development pictures, and um, they mentioned that the whole cast was back for the second one, and it was just in the Disney lineup for yep. the 2016. So even back then, uh, back in August, uh, it got me excited for this. Film. Yeah, 
So um, that that was pretty much the, really the only promotion early on about this film yeah. that I saw. But uh, let's talk numbers and box office. Mm. Didn't garner as much as the first one. Nay, nay. The first seventy percent lower. Yeah. Yes, I mean ninety. It was yeah, yeah. I mean the first one, like, was over a billion, which was crazy, and then this one opened up to only twenty eight thousand, twenty eight million. Twenty six. Didn't even do twenty seven. That that was the opening weekend. Yeah. Came in at number two. So um, why do you think it was solo? Because it was up against X-Men or is the Memorial Day Yeah, weekend? but X-Men didn't do that great either. Yeah, yeah no, you know, uh, th- this one's, um, I don't know. It's very interesting because in, 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 in research that I've been reading, um, number one, the sequel came out, th- this is what, five, six years after the original? Six years. Six the first years. one came out, right? Yeah. 2010? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Something that I read that I found to be very interesting is that back in 2010, there was this um, there was this resurgence too about 3D. Like James Cameron proved to everybody that 3D is viable if done well and done right. Disney, when they made Alice in Wonderland, they really did hype up the 3D factor, and they took a page from the James Cameron book of 3D and said, "Well, if we're going to make it vibrant and pop." We have to make it good. Mm-hmm. And this is when, like, you're trying to get film audiences back. I think the marketing for the first Alice in Wonderland was spot on. It knew exactly the audience that it was going for. And remember, this, this, is, this is well before Disney started, like, just, just, like, copying from their own animated movies. I mean, this was an animated movie brought to real, you know, made into a live movie. Now they've got Maleficent, they've done Cinderella, they've done Mm -hmm. The Jungle Book, they're doing Beauty and the Beast. I mean, now, you know, Alice in Wonderland pretty much started that off for them. I think marketing-wise, ten or uh, six years ago, I think they were very on point. They knew exactly what they were going for. They really did hype up the 3D angle a lot. Um, and that got audiences in. <clears throat> I think, um, I don't know, this time around, uh, I have to say, I think that the Disney marketing, I think they sort of kind of missed their mark. They made a very trippy trailer that I really enjoyed, but at the same time, I'm not sure that whatever younger audience they were going for was going to quite understand. I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, off the top. It's just unfortunate it didn't. I mean, <coughs> the first one was huge, and also the first one was in a different time. Granted, it was only six years ago, but 2010 was a huge movie for 3D. I mean, if you right. think about it, you had, mm-hmm. I mean, you had in the end tail end of 2009, leading into 2010, we had Avatar, and then 2010 you had How to Train Your Dragon in 3D, you had Toy Story. Three in 3D. This movie in 3D. Like there was a lot of movies that was when 3D was becoming big again, and uh, I think they had that going for them. Yeah. And now we're just in a time where like, oh, okay, it's 3D. Do we want to go see it in 3D? Yes. No. Who knows? And I'm not entirely sure if five years. You know, I'm not sure that that length, too, may have had something to play into it. Um, we have a little bit of competition out there. Um, kids movies. Uh, I know Angry Birds was, you know, it didn't fall off. The, it didn't fall off a cliff. You did have X Men, but no, that's a completely <laughs> different 
It's a completely different audience. Mm-hmm. Um, Memorial Day weekend. Um, this is a big push. A lot of families are going away. I think the weather was particularly decent across the country for, you know, here and there. You know, it's it's sort of a head scratcher as to what it was. And again, I think the first Alice in Wonderland story is pretty much straightforward. Um, this one is a little bit, it's, it's, it's grander in scope. It's a little bit bigger. It's, it's very ambitious. And I think like, you know, to criticize a movie for being overly ambitious is, is like an oxymoron. I mean, like, we want movies to be overly ambitious, but I, I, maybe that the audience, the girl, maybe they didn't connect as much as they did with Alice. Now, cinema score, this movie gets an A minus. Yeah. Yeah, that okay. makes no sense. And, you know, it, I mean, again, it IMDb's doesn't make sense. 6.5. Yeah, and, and Rotten Tomatoes, again, it's, it's at 30%. Low. It's very low. low. It's much lower. Than it what doesn't I think the deserve even, a thirty or twenty nine percent ten round. No, I I agree. I, I I completely agree. I again, I'm wondering what movie are they watching? Like, did they see something else at the press screening? Right. That that like completely tainted this movie and made it a really bad movie because this doesn't look like a thirty percent movie to me. You know, it wasn't. It, no, and and a minus. Somebody liked the movie, and a minus usually would suggest um, some some some. Like a leveling, leveling off. You're not going to have that much of a drop, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. This, uh, to my knowledge, well, we go, well, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is what they're going to be going up against. Yeah. And thus far, that one looks to be doing some again some, a different demographic uh, too. True. We'll see what happens. <clears throat> you know, but it's very, it's yeah. it's just very interesting. Like what, how things have changed in marketing. Has changed. I know Disney probably wanted more. They may have wanted even one more movie. I'm not even sure we're going to get that. Although, you do have to take a look, though. All right, so it was, um, what do we say, $170 million. Okay, so close to $200 million. This is, like, all-in budget-wise. Now, foreign, like, when you, foreign, they did $69 million thus far. Um, so worldwide gross, we're looking at over $104, $105 million worldwide. You know, that's that's... Not too shabby. I mean, the foreign markets seem to be doing much are doing much better than than, than here in the states. Mm-hmm. We'll see what holding power they have going into its uh, second weekend. That that'll determine whether or not we get a sequel. I think. Yeah. Okay. So overall, it was a fun movie. <clears throat> I think. Um, I th- I definitely think this movie has a rewatchable factor to it. Mm-hmm. It's like I I would definitely see this movie again. I I may even buy it. Because yeah, I think like I'm, a, I'm also just a Disney fan, but I I think this one was such a fun film to follow. Yeah, and I'm like I like the characters, and I love Disney, obviously. But this was a fun movie that you can easily watch over and mm-hmm. over. Again. Yeah, it was it was it was it was an enjoyable movie, much more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So last thoughts, Phil. Um, you know it's interesting that this movie's been compared to the Huntsman winners. Uh, war, uh, which it was a sequel that also didn't do well and things like that. I mean, Dimitri had mentioned earlier that people just like comparisons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people just need that as a way to explain certain things. If that's why this movie didn't do well, okay, then great. I don't, I don't know what the full correlation there is. Yeah, but, I don't, yeah. I don't know what, it, I don't know uh, what that would be either. Um, but you know, I. I Go. I would say if if there's people you know, go see it. Go see it with them. I mean, 
Because one thing to, if you buy the Blu-ray and you're having a big enough screen like that, that's one thing. But I think something like this, you know, there are moments, there are movies that just benefit from the big screen. And this is one of those movies. Absolutely. It's not going to jump off. It's not going to jump off of your television screen. And listen, hey, if you are that, that person who has an actual type of screening room, okay, Watch maybe you will. You know. I don't, um, I, and though I take pride in my home theater system, it still wouldn't jump off the screen as it did when I saw it in the theaters where it really looked gorgeous and beautiful. Um, you want those colors to pop cinematography-wise, 3D-wise. You want it to work, not be blurry, don't get sick, but you want to be drawn in. This is definitely not as bad a movie as, some, as a lot of the critics would portray it to be. Like, no. I think that if you took your daughters, you'd have a good time. I don't think you'd roll your eyes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I really enjoyed this film. I probably will buy this when this comes out on DVD. Um, overall, I think it was a really strong sequel. Um, no. And usually a lot of people's like, sequels don't do as well. Maybe they don't do as well in numbers and whatnot, in the technical aspects. But overall, as a film, this was very solid on all fronts. And that's what I appreciated with this film. Yeah. So thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in. So where can everyone keep following you, Dimitri? Well, folks, you can su- please support me on Twitter. Um, I'm at DMovies1701, at DMovies1701. I appreciate comments. I appreciate you supporting me on Twitter. Uh, I always like to go on and check out movie news, and I tweet stuff about movies, so hopefully you'll find that fun and interesting. So, at DMovies1701. And Phil. Follow us here at the Popcorn Talk. Check out all of our uh, other shows, um, whether here on Anatomy of Movie. We've done so many. You don't always have to, you know, as you see movies, check back in with us. We've probably covered it. If you're finally catching up to certain movies, go back in our repertoire and listen you know that's the great thing it's whenever you want um it's whatever movie you want so we, we've got a lot of movies that we've covered and hey that's just anatomy of a movie on popcorn talk we have a, a ton of great movies disney movie news fly what is it called i keep calling it fly fishing film <laughs> uh on the fly filmmaking there you go fly on fishing the- film. <laughs> isn't on the fly that filmmaking. salmon at the yemen <laughs> we just started a great new show called uh on the fly filmmaking, you know, all about guerrilla filmmaking styles of uh, film. Uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of films, Marvel movie news, Disney, if you guys are into that, which I'm sure you are because you watched this film. The, the, uh, guilty movie pleasures. Guilty, no, guilty so movie many. Trailer, Just trailer, check. Star Wars and we have a what Jedi, Jedi More anatomies in the future. We'll be doing other Disney films like Finding, Finding Dory. Dory. So excited. We'll yeah. be doing Beating the Beast when that comes out next year. So Saw the trailer for Finding Dory. On, on this. Yes, yeah, pretty that cool. we did. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And you know what? Read the Alice in Wonderland books. They're fantastic. And then also read The Last Star. So right. thanks, everyone, and we'll see you for Thank our next dissection. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.